Hello and welcome to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Don Hibbert. And I'm Devin Voda. And each week we bring you conservation topics and events from around the Endless Mountains. This week is Invasive Species Awareness Week. Yes. Which quite simply is what it says it is, right? <laughs> yep. uh, it's meant for entities and agencies like the Conservation District to bring awareness to the general public about invasive species. Right. Um, I don't know if you want to add any more. You looked up on the website, maybe a couple of things that yep. they're aiming to do. Sure. Uh, so the North American Invasive Species Management Association on their website, they do this in awareness week each year here the last week of February to help bring awareness to invasive species. And it opens up an opportunity for um, organizations to hold formal briefings for congressional staff to educate and inform them maybe about a specific bill or anything that they're trying to bring to the table regarding invasive species. Um, they also hold a bunch of uh, state and local events all over the country trying to promote it. And it also spans through the whole year a little bit as well. The third Wednesday of each month, they also kind of host some webinars as well that you can go on and watch. Okay. Do you have a website? I don't, but if you look up N-I-S-A-W on Google. Probably .org. Something like that, probably. It'll pop right up. Okay. Um, so today we really wanted to talk about two species each. Yep. We picked out two invasive species that are uh, right here in Pennsylvania, right here in the state, and um, definitely invasive in nature. You may or may not know about them. At least one of the ones I'm going to talk about, you will know. Mm-hmm. Um, but why don't you start? Tell us what you picked. Sure. Uh, so the first one I have is the elongate hemlock scale. So a lot of people, when they think of hemlocks and invasives, they think of the woolly adelgid. It's pretty popular. Um, typically, this elongate scale you will find going hand-in-hand hand kind of with the adelgid. Uh, so it it's a small little like scale-looking thing on the bottom of the hemlock needles. So it's a small little orange spot. Typically, that's going to be your female, and then the male is going to be a white spot on the bottom side of the needle there. So you flip over the branch, right? look on the bottom, Yes, that's, that's where you're going to find it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, they don't typically do too, too much harm in themselves. Um, they do kind of feed on the needles. They can cause some discoloration. Um, it's They typically make a bigger impact when they're coupled with another invasive species. Um, they do have more than just hemlock as their host species, though, even though the name implies hemlock. Um, so they do go after our eastern hemlock, Carolina hemlock, some Japanese hemlock, and then as well as like uh, some fir trees, some spruce, even cedar and pine as well. So kind of more your evergreens you'll find them on. Okay. So the problem with these invasive species here is that they, since they kind of are active throughout all of different growing seasons... It's very hard to get rid of them. And also a lot of treatments that you use for the adelgid probably isn't going to touch the scale. So, um, I would think it probably degrades the health of the tree. It does. So it's susceptible to 
like you said, hemolacrylia delgit and right. some other diseases as well. Right. So, I mean, kind of got to get it in the period where it's not quite active, like late winter. Get in there, kind of. There's not a lot, unfortunately, you can do. But if you can get in there, kind of clear out your tree. You might just check for general health. Um, any branches so that are infected. Like chemical treatment? Is that what they're um, recommending? or It can help. It might not be a full like excavation of the um, so invasive. Get rid of right. The invasive itself. Just kind of checking your tree for just general health of it, looking at those branches. If you find a branch that might have it that another neighboring branch doesn't, you might want to kind of clear out the branch that does before it has a chance to move. They, fortunately, they don't move very well on their own. A lot of times what transfers them is wind and any birds kind of popping on the branches and flying away. It's kind of how they get transferred to. So just watching that kind of stuff. So the one, the first one I want to talk about uh, is the emerald ash borer. Everybody's yep. probably familiar with that one. Unfortunately. You know, so if you're out in the woods in the northeast, uh, we did have a lot of ash trees. We did. Not so much anymore. Uh, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the borer itself. Uh, so it's about a half inch long, metallic looking. It's a green beetle. It was originally from Asia and can be found in nearly every county in the Commonwealth now, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Uh, it was first identified in North America all the way back in 2002 and then in Western Pennsylvania during... 2007. Okay. Remember seeing it move in. Seemed like it started in the river valley uh, around here. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the like 2015, 2016, really saw it, you know, work its way north in mm-hmm. Susquehanna County. Um, so the larval stage of this beetle is the harmful stage. It feeds exclusively on ash trees, mm-hmm. uh, and then it makes those galleries in the wood itself, and it kind of destroys. Uh, the ability for the tree to uptake mm-hmm. any nutrients, basically. So when I say ash trees, I'm talking about, you know, all ash species. So, and that includes ash cultivars. So we're talking white ash, green ash, black ash, blue ash. Maybe people didn't even know all these species of I, ash. Yeah, I never existed. heard of a blue ash before. Yeah, uh, there's even the white fringe tree. So that's a species that's taxonomically um, in the same family as ash, okay. so and it even affects that. So that's one that I'm not so familiar with. But what I also want to talk about, and I think this is where a lot of people have question marks. Mm-hmm. It's um, what's next? Like, will we ever see the ash tree come back? Or maybe you have one in your backyard that doesn't seem to be phased by it, which is a good thing, right? Um, so researchers have observed that ash trees that are native to Asia, where the emerald ash borer came from, um, they they really only are affected if they're stressed. Okay. Um, so they're kind of resistant to the emerald ash borer. So, you know, a lot of pests around here, native pests, mm-hmm. um, they only affect disease species. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're talking about a tree, our native pests just look for those weak species and go at it. Same, same way over in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, where the emerald ash borer is, and they seem to just pick on the weak trees. Ash trees that are in the native range of EAB, like I said, may be more resistant because their natural defenses have kind of evolved over time. 
But uh, one of the big things are, that researchers are trying to identify is uh, resistant ash genotypes in this area. So, like I said, there's going to be some trees that are out there that are they seem resistant. They're starting to identify those, map those, uh, and then study them in greater detail. And um, part of the reason is because, you know, they, so they can breed other trees to mm-hmm. be resistant. So it might be quite a few years before that takes place, but they're in the process of studying those trees that are resistant right now. Uh, if you do have one on your property, uh, Penn State University is actually doing a study. Okay. So contact Penn State. I don't have a number. Uh, maybe it's something I can find at some point, but they're definitely involved in the study of trying to find ash trees that are resistant and then hopefully breed them for future success of other ash trees. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we're at right now with ash trees. Um, be on the lookout for healthy ones. I know I had, rare. I had one on my driveway, I think right when we moved in about two years ago, that was still all leafed out in the spring, but I don't know if the last year or two, if it has, okay. unfortunately. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we'll definitely keeping an eye on it though. All right. So the last one that I have here is the bull thistle. You're probably a little more familiar with it than you think you are. Yeah. Spiny nemesis. Yes. Kind of grows in fields and whatnot. Yeah. Right. Um, so it is a plant native to Europe and Northern Africa and Western Asia. So it was introduced to the United States during the 18th century um, and then further Western states in the 19th century. So it's been unfortunately around for quite a while. Um, it's widespread across the U.S. as we- far west as the Rocky Mountains up to the Great Lake states um, and then through the mid-Atlantic states. But it becomes less frequent once you go farther south than Virginia. So doesn't like the super hot weather. Okay. Um, so... If you're looking for it out there, it's going to be this little green plant with a really brilliant purple top to it, a flower on the top. It is pretty. It is very pretty, but it's very pokey. There's <laughs> a lot of different oh, yeah. needles coming off of it in different, different spines and different areas. Um, it's a biennial invasive plant. So the first year it grows a single rosette up to, and it can actually get up to three feet in diameter. So it can get pretty big. I don't know if I've ever seen one quite that big. I think, um, yeah, it didn't have a measuring tape. But yeah. Yeah, I think I've seen some pretty tall ones. So. Um, and then it has a taproot about two feet in length. And then that second year, it the stem comes up with the spiny wings and becomes really hurts if you touch it. <laughs> Yeah, and then it, it'll grow that flower, like you yes. said, too, which will seed out mm-hmm. eventually. Yep. Um, it can invade just about any area. It's not too particular. Anywhere from a disturbed area, forest clears, riparian areas, pastures, find it anywhere. Yeah, it's not picky. No. Well, yes, it is, but... They do form dense thickets, uh, which displaces other vegetation, which is the main cause for problem with this plant it really takes over in an area that it's in um i've definitely seen large patches of it in different areas they say to watch out if it does grow in your pastures and your livestock might try to eat it um it's not palpable thankfully doesn't taste very good but it could cause a little bit of injury with those larger spines that it does develop it spreads pretty quickly as most invasives do the seed dispersal in the fall time 
flowers can produce up to 250 fluffy seeds. So sometimes those white seeds you see flying through the air might be an invasive bull thistle. If you're looking to kind of clear this invasive species out, there's a few options you might have. Um, Hand pulling the younger plants. Put gloves on (laughs) if you're going to do it. Um, But if you can sever the taproot, it will kill the plant, so it's not going to sprout up from the taproot. But you do have to get the taproot of some variety out of the ground. Only problem with that is if it's already seeded out from the previous year, the seed bank, it will regrow. So kind of maybe digging up the dirt a little bit, seeing what you can do. Um, Monitor it, right? Right. For future years. And then also uh, mowing, followed by reseeding a native grass of some form or a native plant could help kind of choke it out on its own before it even has a chance to pop up. Hey, you can put in a good plug for our seedling sale. Yes. We have some nice northeast wildflower mixes. Mm-hmm. Um, check them out. It's on our website. Yes. And then also applying an herbicide in the fall if it's in the rosette stage. Kind of help kill it and keep it at bay for the next year. If you're out there and you walk into it, but it's pretty. <laughs> yeah, I think the common theme at least with the the plants, mm-hmm. you know, they're kind of pushing out the natives. Right. Um, which is the big problem. It kind of ruins the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So uh, the next one I want to talk about and our final one of today, I think, feel like we've talked about this before, but really don't like this plant at all. <laughs> it's the Japanese barberry. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people shop with their eyes, mm-hmm. maybe don't do the research. Um, this one is important to do your research before you go and plant it. Fortunately, Pennsylvania, it's they've added it to their noxious weed list back in October 2021, so you can't distribute, cultivate, or propagate within the state anymore. So don't be planting Japanese barberry at all. Uh, and I'll get into why in just a minute. So if you wonder what it looks like, it's a thorny shrub. Um, here we are with the thorns. Yes. Picky parts of the plant it grows one to two feet high uh, but there's times when it gets more sunlight it can actually grow up to six feet in height so it can be pretty big Uh, it takes over the ecosystem quick Uh, it has glossy leaves it taper at the base Um, it also has like i said spines but one of the bigger things you'll notice is the yellow flowers Uh, that'll be in the spring but even bigger you're walking through the woods during the winter, you'll see those oval shape or egg shaped red berries. Mm-hmm. They're just they just hang out and they let animals come and shop for them and eat them and then spread them more. Uh, so whether it's a bird, whether it's a mouse, um, it's food during the winter, but it's not great because it's going to spread that plant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing about the Japanese barberry besides the fact that it's just so invasive, it takes over so quick, is the fact that it's basically becomes a tick habitat. Right. So the mice eat the berries, they hang out. Of course, we talked about we talked about the life cycle of limes, mm-hmm. right? And um, how it needs the tick, it needs a, a mouse, it needs a deer. So this kind of promotes all of it. Mm-hmm. Right, it's good deer habitat because they lay down in the middle of all these thickets. The mice eat the berries, and the other thing is like it creates this really humid environment, which 
doesn't desiccate the, the ticks. Right. It provides a nice, healthy environment for the ticks to thrive. And I found where one statistic, it says uh, a barberry patch can host up to 120 Lyme disease-carrying ticks per acre. Wow. But a native ecosystem, one without barberry, only 10 disease ticks per acre. Wow. So it's a huge increase mm-hmm. uh, once you introduce this Japanese barberry into an ecosystem. So look it up. See what it looks like. If you see it in your backyard or if you planted it anywhere on your property, get rid of it because um, it's going to spread outside your your cultivated area quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, can wreak havoc, you know, both at a ecosystem level and health of your mm-hmm. family. Um, nobody wants Lyme's disease, so right. When it comes to removing, is it fairly easy to remove? Or um, you got to get the whole root system. Okay. You know, it's it's pretty deep. I actually, when I moved into my house, my current house where I'm living, there was a plant in the backyard. It was a, a cultivar. Mm-hmm. You know, they just planted it for decoration. And uh, I knew what it was right away, so mm-hmm. I dug it up. But yellow bark, and so you can kind of see where that root system goes to mm-hmm. get it off. So you want to kind of catch it when it's not it doesn't have seeds necessarily. Yeah, well, yeah, the seeds will shake off quick, mm-hmm. and fall to the ground, and then replant themselves. So just be aware. Yes. Well, I guess that does it for today's show then. If you have questions related to our shows, you can contact the Conservation District by calling five seven zero. 7822105. If you missed a portion of today's show, you can go to our website, www.suscondistrict.org, and find our Conservation Corner page with past episodes and links to information about past episodes. You've been listening to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Devin Voda. And I'm Don Hibbard saying, enjoy the outdoors.